Welcome to the seventh episode of Oscar Sunday, where we're talking about the seventh Academy Awards, where it happened one night, destroyed the competition, and is the winner of the first big five in Oscar history. The other two films to do that are 1975's Long from the Cuckoo's Nest and 1991's Silence of the Lambs, two movies we both love. <laughs> we also have found a new love for It Happened One Night. Man, this movie is something that changed the game. Uh, it is one of the first big-time, big-time romantic comedies that really had the screwball whole thing going for it and still won all these Oscars. Yeah. Without further ado, I am Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. Right, my man. I know you rewatched uh, It Happened One Night very recently, and you had just seen it a few months back. So you did kind of a bam, bam. Uh, <laughs> did it? Did it help rewatching it? Big time. Uh, I watched it on a whim a few months ago. I was bored, and my, we had it. So I'm like, all right, I haven't seen that. It's a classic. I'll put it on. And it, I, yeah. I thought it was great. Uh, watching it a second time, you you're into it a lot more because you know the characters, the, the journeys a lot more. Uh, I think it's a lot funnier the second time. Yes. Uh, especially if you know they're going to end up together. And uh, Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert are just so good together. This movie is 100% built on their chemistry. And uh, yeah, I twice now I've seen it, and it's a, it's a classic, undisputed. It's really entertaining, and I love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Chemistry is definitely something we're going to bring up later uh, between actors and how important it is in this particular genre. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the, uh, you know, the Oscars have been something I've like had a weird relationship with my entire, entire, you know, life since I was probably 11 or 12. Right. When I first started watching them with my parents and whatnot. And I, I had, I've had this strange, you know, love for them, but kind of hatred for them at times. And, <laughs> and, and now I've totally accepted that, Hey, they make mistakes. Um, there's times where I'm going to be upset. It's okay. Uh, but ultimately, they're honoring movies, and I love movies, and so do you, Connor, and that's like yeah. what we're here to talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so so it, it Happened One Night is so special because it's the first big five. So if you are someone who's looked up any kind of Oscar trivia or history, that's going to pop up. Yes. So I would say four or five years ago when I really started diving into Oscar history was when I saw this movie. And the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, this is good. I, I, I'm, you know, I wasn't, I'm not very well versed in, you know, 30s and 40s cinema, but yeah. um, especially, especially four years ago. But th this movie is different and it's, it's so ahead of its time. <laughs> and when you're watching two performers, um, ju just figure, figure it out over an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, just figure it out. And like you, like you said, cause you to believe that the relationship is happening and you're, you're rooting them on at the same time. It, it's just kind of, it's a win-win situation. This movie, I highly suggest people go watch it, come back, check this episode out. Cause it's undoubtedly the, the, the biggest um, Oscar movie where we've covered so far on the podcast. Well, I love that in the movie, the relationship seems so organic. It's not like a, Oh, they're perfect. I love this person to death. It's yeah. I love her. and I fucking hate it. <laughs> I love that. He hates that he's in love with her, but he can't help it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, it's, it's going to yeah, be fun. It's, it's going to be it's fun. It's hilarious. 
to watch yeah. in 1934 to have that kind of outlook on a relationship is kind of amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 1934. You know, <laughs> last week we, you know, talked about a movie from 1964. You know, we're just trying to jump all over the place here and uh, bring you all kinds of different history and our own personal takes and what we like and dislike about these movies. This one happens to be one we both both enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some inter- some interesting things about this movie right away. I think one thing that you and I both loved that we both read was that Steven Spielberg <laughs> went ahead and bought Clark Gable's Oscar uh, at an auction for around seven hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> and and immediately donated it back to the Academy. Um, and we anticipate uh, most uh, Oscar fans alike anticipate that it will be one of the statues that will be uh, at the museum whenever it opens up. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that you and I would love to go visit whenever it does um, open up, and whenever COVID, you know, decides we to were, take a back. We've been planning that trip for like two years, and now there's a virus, so like, yeah, man, he wasn't even fucking done. <laughs> yeah, no, we 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 really want to visit um, Quentin Tarantino's New Beverly Cinema. Uh, we want to go there and see check out some films, and we really want to plan it around seeing this museum as well. Yeah, because. Because we we just do we want to see the that we want to see the Oscar gold man you know it'd be yeah. cool to record and, an episode uh, of Oscar Sunday in L.A. after seeing after going to the Oscar Museum would be unbelievable. Yeah, just talk about the you know <laughs> the emotions you have when you're looking at you know history. Yeah, and to know that, to know that Steven Spielberg, a guy who just kind of represents so many great things about film, right? The, his creativity, his tenacity to keep coming out with movies no matter what nonstop and raise the bar constantly for a guy to do that you know buy that old ass oscar from the seventh academy awards and and donate right back it it just speaks volumes to um there are good things in the film community right as as snarky as it is and as harsh and how there's all these ridiculous predators there there are good people and uh steven spielberg's one of them um I, I love that. I love that about him that he did that. It's so cool. Yeah, he could have easily just kept that in his private collection. But no, he felt it was an important piece of cinematic history and it belonged with the with the Academy. And yeah. I wonder if is that how it works? Like when an when an actor dies, if it's not like specified in the will, doesn't the Oscar automatically go back to the Academy? I I would assume. I would yeah. hope. But I read I, that I'm not sure, but I don't know if that's true. I I, I hope so too. I mean that's that'd be awesome. Yeah, and yeah, Stephen did that um, in 1996 at some uh, at an auction. I, 700 grand he dropped <laughs> to to do that. So very cool. Uh, we what's, both love that. 700 we grand. What's love. that? Like Raiders opening weekend? That's nothing to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Raiders! Uh, r- real quick, what, what's the last Steven Spielberg film you watched? The last Steven Spielberg film I watched. That is a very good question. Hmm. I, uh, I, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was hook. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. That's Very a constant nice. favorite of mine and, uh, still my favorite version of the Peter Pan story ever put the film. Yeah. I just watched Jaws, uh, you know, July 4th. That's, you know, just something. You know, I did too. I think that actually is the last one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's my favorite. So, <laughs> so it, it usually is. If someone asks me that question, it's usually the one I, I just watched. But uh, uh, today, yeah, Stephen's great. Today we're talking about It Happened One Night, 7th Academy Awards, that were uh, hosted by Irvin Cobb. He's a writer at the Biltmore Hotel 
in Los Angeles. They only hosted, you know, a few ceremonies and, uh, you know, I was looking up pictures of it. If you're listening and you're, you're into the aesthetics of, of the Oscar show, there's some very cool pictures of the Biltmore Hotel, uh, you know, in the thirties that uh, I would love to see a movie kind of have that in it. Uh, Cause it's just such a fascinating scene. And uh, yeah, I, I love that stuff. And that's part of the deal here, right. With this show is, um, we're going back and learning a lot of stuff. <laughs> yes. We're going back uh, each week, whether it be uh, this movie or Rocky or in the bedroom, we're, we're, we're learning a lot of stuff about the Oscars themselves and how they've moved to different buildings and how obviously now you look at the stage and it's this re- ridiculous, amazing um, production, the Oscars they are, it's, you know, it's like our Super Bowl Sunday, right, Connor? It's just, yes. um, it's, it's like a magnificent, magnificent event. But I do love kind of the lore of the Biltmore Hotel now that I've researched a little bit about it. Uh, and, you know, again, it was just hosted a few um, uh, ceremonies like throughout the 30s, a uh, couple in the 20s. And the 7th Academy Awards here, uh, just, just domination from it happened one night. Yeah. Um, one night. One Night of Love had the most nominations. That was six. But it just, it just did not matter because it happened one night was, it happened, it was nominated for five, won five, you know, it just, it just did, it, it's like Michael Jordan. It's just perfect, undefeated uh, kind of thing. And it's the first big five winner again. We can, we're going to say that over and over again. It's just yeah. such, such an amazing feat. Um, we're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about the big five that it won um, and the other stuff in the category. These are very interesting categories because there's some that have three nominations, some that have eight. Oh my gosh. Connor, they were I'm definitely still figuring shit out. Like they didn't know what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously the big five, best picture, best actor, best actress, best director, best screenplay. Those are the five it was nominated for. And those are the five it won. So let's take it from yep. the bottom with best adapted screenplay. Only two movies up against it. We've got uh, Viva Vila by Ben Hecht, The Thin Man by Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, and It Happened One Night by Robert Riskin. Now, I have seen The Thin Man. I believe you have as well. Yes. And that's a cute film, but it's, 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 no, uh, it's no It Happened One Night. No, no, no. No, no. It, it's solid. I definitely recommend it, but no. no it's... <laughs> yeah, and uh, we should probably mention that of the uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12... Best Picture nominees. Uh, those are the two we've we've watched. Yes, these are very difficult to find. Um, we yeah, this is you know 1934. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going a ways back. We we've talked about 1940 uh, with uh, the Great Dictator, but 1934 is uh, yeah. pushing it pr- pushing it pretty far back here. Well, talking about the additional nominees and kind of adding a little bit more flavor, that's more just kind of a fun bonus thing. The priority is always the film itself. And yes. if we can get to all that other stuff, great ads for great content. But if we can't, you know, we, we got to shift our focus and really hammer home on, on the big one. And that's what yeah. we're going to have to do today. Yeah. And, and next week, uh, you know, we're going to have one where we're going to be able to um, have an opinion on everything. So, uh, yeah. Next week. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> But more on that at the end of the show. Yes, sir. Uh, so as far as the screenplay goes, I think this film's pretty crucial. Uh, the screenplay is brilliant. It's, qu- it's quick, it's witty, it's smart, and it's, it's, for the time, it's highly original. And uh, I have not read the story Night Bus by Samuel Hopkins Adams, 
but uh, I still think it was a great screenplay. Yes, indeed. I had texted you uh, earlier today um, after rewatching it because, you know, I hadn't seen it in about, you know, four years, four or five years. And rewatching it, I was struck by how fucking quick it moves, uh, <laughs> the dialogue and how, how sharp it is. Um, th these are things you're not accustomed to when watching uh, older movies, whether it be true or not. Because you, yeah. you just believe, you believe that there's slower pace because that's just what people tell you and they try to guide you. It's just false. It's false. There's so many films from these earlier decades that have incredible writing and, you know, whip fast, like whip fast. And this, this movie has it. And I think that's the best part of it is you can't really, just like in a really intense drama, you don't want to miss any like little sudden movement. You, yeah. you can't look away from this movie because the writing's so good, you don't want to miss any one little snap that either of them have. You know, it's it's yeah. perfect. Well, and I love that. Um... Oh, yeah, lost my train of thought. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> I had. Oh yeah. Okay, I remember what I was gonna say. Um, this was a time when films were still really kind of starting out. They didn't really know what they could do, like the the you know the scale of what you could do with a film. So a yeah. lot of it is just pointing a camera at actors in a room. And you kind of had to work with that. And if that's your film, then you have to rely heavily on your actors for, you know, quick-witted dialogue and really just uh, selling the performance. And this film needs that because it is all just pointing a camera at a room and letting the actors talk. It's like, I don't think this would have taken cinematography if it was nominated for it. <laughs> it's, the filming itself is actually pretty bland, but what's in the film is so damn funny and smart that you don't really care. It's it's kind of neat. Yeah, in the same fashion that something like yeah yeah I love that I love that you pointed that out. In the same way that something like today, um, maybe something like the Mad Max or the Revenant, where it's built on cinematography, editing, bam bam bam, you know, just shocking you with its with yeah. its movement, and that's mm -hmm. just something that wasn't possible. <laughs> Uh, in 1934. There you know? were some directors who were experimenting with that, like F.W. Murnau really tried to capture shadow and lighting, and he, w he wasn't just fit to point a camera in a room. He wanted to make something. And there, there were those artists yes. out there, but they were few. They were very few. I mean, like, yeah. the Kubrick's didn't come around till the, till the 50s. And, yeah, it's not a dead era of film, but there's very few films that I think have lived this, like, have made it to now, like, you know, I've lasted this long because a lot of them just look exactly the same. Yes. Yes. Same. Yeah. Well, especially when you're dealing with black and white, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of people these days, when they see black and white, they're like, Oh, that's an old film. I don't care. I won't watch that. I can't. Yeah. Breaks my heart. It's sad. It, that's sad. Right. That's like, <laughs> it's like a lost art or something. Come on. <laughs> I know. Ugh. It's upsetting. Um, so after screenplay, we have director. This was only three nominations. W.S. Van Dyke for The Thin Man, Victor Scherzinger for One Night of Love, and the winner, Frank Capra, for It Happened One Night. Frank Capra, <laughs> one of the bigs of early Hollywood, one of the big wigs, responsible for a lot of great movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I, personally, uh, one that I know we're going to, end up talking about in some fashion is Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Just ugh, 
<laughs> this this guy, yeah, yeah, he's awesome. I can't wait to get into more of his shit. Three time Oscar winner for It Happened One Night. Mr. Deeds goes to town, and you can't take it with you. He's also responsible for It's a Wonderful Life, one of the most popular Christmas movies of all time. Yes, yeah, he's a he's an artist straight up, and uh, I can't wait to do It's a Wonderful Life. That's such a beautiful movie. Yeah, well, here you were just saying how there's like very few. Here's one of them. Yeah, Here's one of the guys. Here's one of the guys. Here's one of the names that you, you should know if you are wondering if you're uh, someone who wants to know where to start because sometimes learning about film is daunting and it's like, whoa, there's so much shit. That's because there is. Yeah. You have to start. You have to start somewhere. And Frank, Frank Capra is a great place to start if you want to hone in on a director and watch, watch his career. He's got a, yeah, he's got a great filmography. You can't go wrong with him. You can't. You really can't. And uh, I just want to point out that uh, you may experience some technical difficulties on this episode. Uh, Why is that? (laughs) Well, I am currently in Nags Head, North Carolina on a uh, surprise family trip. We are staying safe. We're not flaunting around like idiots. And uh, so the uh, stretch quite quite a bit thin. My internet connection is not the strongest. I'm working with what I got. So if there is there is some uh, some weird dialogue pauses and uh, stretches, that's why we're gonna I'm gonna edit this the best I can. But you know I'm not a wizard, no promises. <laughs> you know who is a wizard? Frank Capra. Frank Capra is a wizard, and he did some beautiful movie magic with it happened one night. <laughs> oh, and that takes us to best actress, where we have Norma Shearer for the Barretts of Wimpole Street. Grace Moore for One Night of Love, Betty Davis for Of Human Bondage, and apparently that was a write-in, not an official nomination. Apparently you can do that, or you could do that. And the winner was Claudette Colbert for It Happened One Night. Yes. Who, who, I can't believe that. They could just write in, like, I think this person should get it. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we still had that. Maybe we do still have that, but nobody knows about it. We should do write-ins for next year's Oscars. <laughs> I owe you. You might want to hold on to that one. $175,000. Yeah, God, dumb and dumber. <laughs> Probably not going to pop up on Oscar Sunday. No, but you know, jury's <laughs> still out on Filmgasm. Maybe one day. Oh, uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, comedy is the hardest genre to get to on both these podcasts because they rarely fall under the genre film category and most of them don't get any Oscar nominations. So, you know, unless we start a third podcast, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Uh, um, I haven't seen those other movies, but I think Claudette Colbert is fantastic in this movie. She's just likable enough for the movie to work (laughs) because she was just a straight up spoiled heiress. We didn't like it. Wouldn't work. You need her to be likable on some level. And I think she pulls it off quite nicely. Oh, 100%. Uh, I, I, I'm excited to bring up more chemistry stuff here in a second, here in a little bit. But uh, she, she has this, uh, this way of, uh, I, I'm interested in whether it be a over-the-shoulder shot or straight at her face or any angle. I'm, I'm just sold and I'm interested in every movement she makes. Uh, this, this is something that you're, you keep bringing up is so essential to a 30s film standing out and living as long as it has. Yeah, absolutely. And her chemistry with Gable kept this, you know, kept this alive, you know, up to now, 70 something years later. And 
Best Actor, of course, William Powell for The Thin Man, Frank Morgan for The Affairs of Cellini, and the winner, Clark Gable, for It Happened One Night. Clark Gable, another hugely recognizable name from the 1930s. And uh, yeah, he's fantastic in this. This is, I think, to date, the only film of his I've seen. And uh, I got to work on that. <laughs> hey, man, you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, this was his only Oscar win. Um, he was nominated also for Mutiny on the Bounty and Gone with the Wind. I have, I have uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. You got, yeah, uh, we'll either do that on the show or I'll just let you borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, there's so many different versions of that story. I have to see at least one of them. <laughs> I have, I have, I have the two, the two like most famous ones. <laughs> and then uh, Claudette Colbert was also nominated for Private Worlds and Since You Went Away, but this was her only Oscar win as well. And um, she made it all the way to 92 years old. She died in 1996. Right on. Uh, Gable, not so lucky. He regrettably uh, clocked out a little early. We lost Gable in 1960 at age 59. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he missed the whole – he could have had a whole another 20 years of, you know, of being an older guy in movies, right? Uh, it's, yeah. It sucks. Coronary thrombosis. And then I think uh, his grandson killed himself a couple of years ago. Clark Gable III was a model. Jeez. And he looked exactly I didn't know that. like him. It was very freaky. He looked just like Clark Gable. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. Um, but he's one of those names that always pops up in classic Hollywood alongside like Jimmy Stewart, Humphrey Bogart. He's just one of those guys. One of those, you know, the Mount Rushmore of 30s leading men. Clark Gable is on there. And he's so funny. In this movie, he is just a total prick who could care less, but grows to love this woman. And I don't really know why. <laughs> he just kind of does. And that's kind of how yeah. love works. There's no reason behind love. It just fucking happens. You can't do anything about that. It just happens to you. And this movie is all about, you know, Cupid's arrow getting in the middle of two people who are highly annoyed by one another. <laughs> yeah, Pete, Pete and Ellen just... Uh, you know, bickering and, you know, having that, that again, that, that quick whipping dialogue. That's, you know, they go hand in hand, right? These Oscars don't happen. They all, they all don't happen if one, one piece is, is missing. Yeah. The writing, the writing has to be good, but you also have to add, have the actors that are going to be able to pull it off and make you believe it. And that's, it, it just hits on all cylinders. And so it makes sense that it did what it did. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's lightning in a bottle. It's, there's certain movies that, work the way they did because they had to like this was the yes. way the only way it was going to be because it's so perfect you take like like you said you take one piece of this away the whole damn thing collapses it's it's so perfect it, hit, it hits all the notes and gable it reminds me of um we watched something recently with a guy who was just kind of a dick but we loved him i don't remember what it was it's gonna I watch a lot. I watch. A, I try. I, I like consciously watch a lot of movies like that, right? <laughs> but I feel like it was like for a, the like show. A loser. Um, <laughs> what would we have done? I mean, um, um it was like on a, Sunday or Filmgasm. My Fair Lady. That's what it was. Oh it was, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doctor Henry Higgins. Remind. Like he's just you know, he's a total prick, but he's a prick to everyone. So you kind of yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's yeah, he's freaking smart yeah Peter warns the same way to me just like he doesn't give a fuck but you like him 
<laughs> yeah, I'm cool with it. Yeah. These are both two kind of inherently like annoying people. You wouldn't like them. Like, you know, a spoiled heiress running away from her father and a sleazy newspaper man who's using her to get a big story. You shouldn't like these people, but Colbert and Gable are so damn charming that you fall in love with them. Frank Capra was great at that. He was great at molding characters. And, oh, yeah, it's such a great movie. I totally see why it, it destroyed the Oscars. Yeah, especially at this time, right? You know, yeah. um, so early on, the seventh Academy Awards. I mean, of the, the, here, here are the films it was up against for Best Picture. The White Parade, Viva Vila, The Thin Man, One Night of Love, Imitation of Life, The House of Rothschild, Here Comes the Navy, The Gay Divorcee, Flirtation Walk, Cleopatra, and The Barretts of Wimpole Street. I've heard two of those movies, <laughs> and the two that I've, ha- I've seen are fucking hilarious because of the great characters, and that's It Happened One Night and The Thin Man. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's another one I'd love to do on the show. William Powell and Myrna Loy are just hilarious. <laughs> the idea of a detective solving a murder because he's like, well, I'm bored. I guess I'll do this today. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That'd be a, that'd be a fun double feature that, that these those two together Thin Man yeah. have one night just kind of stack them together and yeah I think in the future on Oscar Sunday on this on this show we will revisit at some point uh, years that we've already covered and just kind of stack them against each other properly yeah. so Put um, yeah, I, look at these I I do I, exactly I, I I've I've read some about One Night of Love because it got six nominations this year. But I, I don't know much about it. I'd like to see it, but yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm open to seeing anything. I know you are too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the the whole 30s thing does not bog us down at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, case in point, I'm looking at a lot of these. Claudette Colbert is in a lot of these films. <laughs> oh yeah, she's wor- she was working all the time. Yeah, it's, it's those times where they just had you know there were like 15 to 20 different actors per studio, and they just gave them different back, you know, backlot locations said, all right, you're filming this today at five and then you're filming this at seven and then you're filming this at nine. And then you know, that's just how it worked back then. It was all about, you know, getting work. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Clark was in over 60 movies and you know, he didn't even live till 60 years old. So <laughs> that's, that's too many movies to be in in that time. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see uh, Claudette Colbert's Cleopatra. I mean, Directed by Cecil B. DeMille. So, I mean, maybe there's got to be something to that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but, yeah, like we said, you know, It Happened One Night was the one that took it. And uh, I think it deserved it. I think it's a great movie. I think uh, – I can't speak for the rest of these, regrettably. But, yeah, It Happened One Night has my vote. Yeah. I, I, you know, as far as it winning the big five, I definitely approve. But I, I would definitely like to check out what I can. And we will over time. Um, that's just something we're going to do. Do you have any favorite rom-coms of all time? Um, rom-coms are a tricky genre for me because I think a lot of them are shit. A lot of them are formulaic and I don't you need, like you them. Need the chemistry. You need you do, the chemistry. You need the chemistry. And there are a few films that have that. Um, some of my personal favorites that do have that. Um, the Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. I think that movie's hilarious. And they're just really good. They're so cute together. <laughs> Um, Midnight in Paris, I think, is a very smart and uh, cool film. Yes. Uh, Owen Wilson and uh, Marianne Cotillard. 
along with a whole bunch of other people, like Adrian Brody uh, and Salvador Dali, just rhinoceros. Yeah, like that whole thing is so funny. And then uh, I really like Chasing Amy with uh, Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams because that's such an unconventional rom-com, but I also think it's uh, Kevin Smith's most honest film and uh, just very heartbreaking in a way. And uh, yeah, those those are my favorites. Uh, I don't watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fascinating like subgenre. You know, it's constantly battling with what it is exactly and yeah. where it belong and where it belongs. You know, I think as of as of late, I think like the best one of the past few years is The Big Sick, uh, directed by Michael Showalter. With and that's that's you know because Kumail and Zoe Kazan have this wonderful chemistry, and you believe in those moments. Um, you want to you, you, when you're watching a romantic comedy, you want to relate a little bit, yeah. And you also and you also want to kind of like um, be jealous in a way. You you kind of like oh like I don't have this life or whatever like that that may they may have something to do with the setting, with what, the characters themselves. But like I I like a good movie that you know is, takes place you know in New York City when Harry Met Sally um, is a fun one that's just got some really good dialogue and the setting's really cool and kind of makes itself a character. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I think it is a very kind of confusing genre that doesn't know. I, you can look up on IMDb and marriage story has, you know, romance, comedy, drama. And it's like, okay, well, really? I, I don't know about that. I don't know if we can call that, but it's like, is that what it's become in 2019? Is like, that's what romantic comedies, is that where they live? I hope not. I don't want it to be. Yeah. That's, um, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, you know, The Love Birds just came out on Netflix uh, recently. That was that was all right. You know, um, Kumail and Issa Rae are good together. Um, there are some scenes that were just kind of dominant, but it's tough. It's tough. And you have to find the right chemistry. Yeah. Well, like um, you said, like you want to see yourself relating to it a bit. And there was and like wanting to, you know, kind of be jealous a little bit. And there was no point in marriage story where I was like, I wish this was my life. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to be a part of this. Like, Jesus Christ, no. Yeah, I was I was looking up before we recorded, I was looking on IMDb and searching what are the like highest rated movies on there that aren't romantic comedies. And you know, The Apartment, um, Some Like It, Aha uh, Hot, It Happened One Night, all these pop up right away. Great films. Um, Would you consider as good as it gets to be a romantic comedy? I do, yeah. I love that movie, um, but that movie's almost like a little too dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jack, man. He just brings this. Well, yeah. Every role, and, and, and there you go. Is like that's the whole thing. Is like he kind of breaks the genre where it becomes its own movie. And as good as it gets, is just as good as it gets. Um, and when Harry Met Sally, as far as I'm concerned, is just like when Harry Met Sally. It's just this movie that kind of stands the test of time. Uh, there's a reason there's a bunch of fandom behind it. And there's a reason a lot of romantic comedies just don't stand the test of time and just kind of, <laughs> yeah. they kind of come and go. They kind of come and go. Um, I, I, I personally wish there were more like better efforts yeah. in the genre. I, I, I just don't think there's that many that are clear with what they want to say. As good as it gets has one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. Cause it's so mean. It was when, uh, when Jack is going up to his apartment or he's visiting somebody and a fan accosts him and is like, I love your stories. How do you write women so well? And he goes, I think of a man and I take away reason and accountability. And then he walks away. <laughs> That's the meanest shit to say to somebody who loves your work. 
my God. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to get that up. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is still the king, as, uh, oh. as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. No, uh, no contest. That guy's just an <laughs> incredible performer. I, I think, you know, uh, yeah, you bring that up. You, um, how about, you know, something's got to give, you know, the Nancy Myers uh, whole world of, you know, yeah. where romance is definitely in play a lot. And Annie Hall. I, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we all do. Uh, yeah, po- point being, <laughs> it's very tough. And the chemistry is so, so important between those two main characters. What, no matter what the relationship is, I would love to see more um, gay couples represented in romantic comedies. I think that's something that just hasn't been used on the screen enough. Um, letting gay characters be themselves and not having a movie about them constantly defending their own rights, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that would be really cool. You know, I'm, you, I'm, we're huge fans of uh, Brokeback Mountain here at uh, Film Guys and Productions, but I would love to see a movie where it's just two gay guys living their life and having fun you know and going through um modern modern kind of uh relationship problems you know where that'd be great you, yeah yeah i just I, I wish there was I, I wish there was more in the genre man i wish there was more to talk about as of late just, most of the time it's not... the same formulaic stuff it's like oh you know so and so is about to get married but her best friend's in love with her or she just met this guy at the wedding or you know just we've seen that we don't care yeah, the tropes, the tropes are the same over and over. Yeah, it gets old. I ask the same thing of rom-coms that I ask for every other genre of film I watch. Give me something to invest in. Give me a reason to care about this movie. Yes. That's all I ask. Yes. <laughs> and it happened 100%. one night. Certainly did that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, I guess. Uh, well, before we get into the plot. This film has an IMDb score of 8.1 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%. <laughs> Near perfect. <Incredible. laughs> it was a huge hit. It grossed about $2.5 million on a budget of $325,000. For 1934, that's insane. That is an insane gross. <laughs> You're a millionaire. <laughs> beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I guess with that... Let's talk about It Happened One Night. Let's do it. So we meet spoiled heiress Ellie Andrews, the daughter of rich tycoon uh, Alexander Andrews. And uh, she recently married this guy, King Wesley, a pilot and fortune hunter. <laughs> All right. And um, she, her father's very protective. He didn't know about this marriage. He did not approve of this marriage. So he has locked her away on his yacht until she thinks about what she's done. And she's like 20-something, so she's a little peeved, so she runs away, boards a Greyhound bus to New York City to go reunite with her husband. Meanwhile, Peter Warren, a newspaper reporter, has just been fired for being a shitty newspaper reporter, <laughs> and uh, he's on the same bus, and he recognizes her and gives her a choice. If she gives him the exclusive on her unbelievable story that has captivated the nation, he will get her to her husband. And if she refuses, he's going to immediately tell her father where she is. So Ellie has no choice here. She agrees to give him the story. Classic. And this, this introduction is done very well because he's like, he, <laughs> they're getting on the bus. He's already peeved. And there's a stack of newspapers in a, like the only seat left. And he moves the newspaper. He starts moving the newspapers and the bus driver's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm moving the newspapers. He's like, well, why? He's like, because they didn't pay for the seat. I did. <laughs> 
as he's making as he's arguing ellie just walks over and takes the seat <laughs> and he's like that was mine and she's like a uh, bus driver are these paid for in advance and he's like nope <laughs> and peter's like well two people can sit in them can't they and he's like well i guess and he's like yep scoot over <laughs> so Bam. just like that they're in each other's lives <laughs> And she has no idea how to function in normal society. She's a sheltered, you know, millionaire's daughter who has given, been given everything in her life. So she just assumes everything's going to work out for her. <laughs> so she leaves her bus ticket on the seat. She just goes, wanders around, hope, thinking the bus is going to wait for her. And Peter's like, get a load of this bitch. Like the whole time, just like, are you kidding me? It's like he's Jim in the office looking at the camera like, do you believe yeah. me? Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to have fun here. <laughs> so he basically just like follows her around and is like, look, this is the deal. Like you are going to be fucked if you, if you, if I don't help you. And I only want to help you if I get something out of this. So what's it going to be? <laughs> and she's like, well, all right. <laughs> and uh, they get back on the bus and she's immediately hit on by this weird guy. And uh, she's not handling it well. And Peter can tell. And he goes over to her and is like, Hey, you know, hey, Buster, like to sit next to my wife, if that's okay. And he's like, your wife? Oh, I had no idea. And she's like, what do you mean your wife's like, yeah, we're married. Didn't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it for you. I, I couldn't stand the, the sound of his voice anymore. He'll never admit when he's doing the right thing. It's, it's beneath him for some reason. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, he doesn't need praise. He just does the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing, which is the best kind of person. And, uh, <laughs> Eventually, this creep guy realizes who she is and tries to blackmail Peter. And Peter's response to this is hands down my favorite part of the movie. And uh, I think the scene that got him the Oscar. Because he pretends to be a mafioso who has kidnapped Ellie and tries to see if this guy wants in on it. The guy is terrified. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you got a gun? He's like, no. Clark's like, well, no, one, no problem. I packed a couple machine guns. I'll get you hooked up. We'll take care of this whole rabble ourselves. I'll get, you, I'll get to the big guy. I'll tell him you want in. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I don't want in. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Get me out of this. I have a wife and kids. Which is interesting because he was hitting on Ellie a bit ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How convenient. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's still so funny. <laughs> and, and when this, this stuff is used, like, uh, you know, time and time again. Uh, these kind of these kind of little little tropes that he he's doing these things that are he knows she's gonna be impressed by them right when he kind of kind of shows his chest and it's like I'll I'll be in command of the situation I'll show some confidence here he's a fucking peacock man <laughs> he's a fucking peacock and it's it, it is such a blast to watch yeah well now they know that the bus isn't safe because she's been recognized so Peter and uh, Ellie just start walking through the fields and uh i don't know how the hell peter knows where he's going and uh they go to uh oh prior to that my mistake was the uh the walls of jericho scene at the motel which was great and um, that's where they make the agreement and uh peter puts up this clothesline with a blanket on it and says these are the walls of jericho they shall not fall like <laughs> we're not together I have no interest in you. You have no interest in me. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> and uh, she's upset and kind of sad because she's like, this is not what I imagined my trip to New York was going to be like. 
Um, the next day, there's these uh, private investigators walking around uh, who were hired by her father. And <laughs> Peter's quick thinking is <laughs> the scene that I think got Claudette Colbert the Oscar. And it's, uh, it's when they walk in to see Peter verbally abusing his fake wife. <laughs> and she just improvises, like, with him. You know, once a plumber's daughter, always a plumber's daughter. And she's like, I am not, just sobbing. And they're, like, uncomfortable, like, look, we're sorry. We didn't mean to get in the middle of this. <laughs> it's brilliant. As soon as they leave, they're, they're both like, you were brilliant. Oh, my God. It's their first bonding moment. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, um, you know, to uh, a man who's trying to, like, get away with something, what's better than a woman? Uh, having like you know having your bonnie where you can like hey you play along with this we can both get away together you know and so when he sees that yeah it's definitely their first like all right we can <laughs> they both realize what each what the other is capable of and like how you know i think at some deep level they're both the same kind of like slightly sarcastic person who loves to fuck with other people yeah and that kind of couple stays together <laughs> Yeah. More than yes. any other couple in life and in movies. The couple who fucks with other people together stays together. Not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> literally, those relationships don't make it usually. <laughs> um, <laughs> <all right>. So <laughs> after the bus breaks down, they begin hitchhiking and uh, they end up sleeping in a field and uh, they have a bit of an argument after she proclaims she's hungry and he goes off to find her some food. And she, not knowing he's gone, starts being like, you know, I don't need you. Like, you can just take off. I, I, I don't need you at all. She turns around, and he's gone, and she starts freaking out. <laughs> like, where did you go? He comes back with carrots, and she's like, well, I don't want them anymore. I'm, I, was, I was scared. It scared the hunger out of me. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and just goes to sleep. <laughs> the next day, they, um, they try to hitchhike, and Peter shows off his impeccable hitchhiking prowess and doesn't land a single car. It's just a whole parade of cars completely passing by. He's just trying over anything and over. by the end of it. <laughs> I, I, lo I, I love this scene because <laughs> this, this represents a lot, of, a lot of scenes that happen after to me in movies where a character is in a scenario out in the country right here where it's like, why are all these cars coming at once? <laughs> and none of them are nice enough to stop. And, it, you know, it, it reminded me kind of like Seinfeld where it's just these these situations where you're like really right now is when <laughs> or or, or uh, one of my favorite uh, comedy moments is uh in office space when at the beginning you're you're in traffic and you move over to the left lane and that's the one that stops and that one starts moving that kind of stuff you know that's just like what <laughs> i love that and to see that happening here so early and you have yeah clark just <laughs> wave them on by it looks like it's it's hilarious in office space, one of my favorite bits at the beginning is when Michael Bolton's like listening to hardcore ghetto boys rap and he's yeah, like singing down. along and then the black dude walks past him and he turns it down and locks the door. <laughs> it's so fucked up, but it's that tells you everything you need to know about him right there. Uh, Michael Bolton. Why should I change my name? He's the one who what sucks. sucks. <laughs> What's your favorite song? Oh, I just love the whole catalog. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it just, it, it happened one night and it has influenced so many um, movies to do these little things, uh, these little yeah. tropes. And I, yeah, I respect it so much. Every trope has to start somewhere. And I think It Happened One Night is really kind of like the, the pioneer of most rom-coms, either consciously or unconsciously. Like 
This yeah, film, yeah. This film has been borrowed from for decades. Yes. And Ellie is like, stand back, soldier. I know how to get a car. And she just like lifts her skirt and shows her leg to the road. And a guy immediately hits the brakes and is like, come on in. <laughs> this weird guy who starts like singing to them. <laughs> My and tonsils. To, yeah. And then tries to steal their luggage. <laughs> Peter chases him down, ties him to a tree and steals his car. <laughs> like, holy shit. And that never comes up again. Yeah, oh no, yeah, it's just another thing they're going through, yeah. And then he starts singing, like, <laughs> the fuck? So during all this, they're starting to, you know, feelings are starting to develop. They're both enjoying themselves, they're both beginning to fall for the other person. And uh, near the end of their journey, Ellie confesses her love to Peter, and he loves her too. But the owners of the motel notice the next day Peter's car is gone. And, uh, I don't remember why he left. Why did Peter leave? I, I know. I, 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 don't, I don't remember. Leave um, the hotel? Yeah. When, he, like, when the motel owners show up and they notice Peter's car is gone, so they throw Ellie out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did he go to just talk happen? to her father? There had, yeah, there had to be a reasoning for that. There's no way that just oh, happened. He went to the newspaper to say, like, hey, I got a hell of a story. She's going to marry me instead. Yeah, that's what happened. Okay. Sorry. I'm, go I'm going down to the papers. Yeah. And that motel, like, they're both just like, well, the car's gone, so obviously they fucked off. So better go throw out that defenseless woman. They don't even ask any questions. <laughs> they're just like, get out. <laughs> that's so mean. And Ellie's devastated. She thinks Peter left her. And so she's just like, fuck, well, it's over. So she goes and calls her father, tells him where, where she is. And the father's like, all right, you can marry King Wesley. Just don't run out on me again like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Peter obtained money from the editor to marry Ellie, but he misses her on the road. And Ellie doesn't want to be with Wesley, but she believes that Peter has betrayed her for the reward money and is going to, she just marries Wesley out of spite. But on the wedding day, she tells, she reveals to her father the whole story. And her father is surprisingly very uh, moved by this. And is like, do you love him? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. And so she, he, he finds Peter and offers him the reward money, but Peter only wants like 39 bucks, what he spent on her to get her here. <laughs> you know what it reminded me? This got ripped and put into Spaceballs. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. See, everything God. comes from somewhere. <laughs> Who'd have thought? And, uh, Andrews is like, yeah, I give you 39 bucks. That's a steal because the reward money was like 100 grand or something. <laughs> and um, as they're walking to the, um, to the altar, dad tells Ellie, like, yeah, he didn't take the reward money. And uh, <laughs> before that, Andrews asked Peter, like, do you love her? And he's like, anybody who loves your daughter needs to have their head examined. And he's like, that's an evasion. Do you love my daughter? And eventually he's like, yeah, but don't hold it against me. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's awesome <laughs> it's just how angry he's like yes i love her god damn it <laughs> all right i have a hard time admitting it to myself just don't make me say it <laughs> oh man wesley shows up for the wedding in a fucking like mini helicopter <laughs> and um at the ceremony 
Andrews tells her daughter, like, yeah, Peter didn't want the money and he loves you. And the car is waiting in the back if you want to change your mind. Like, damn. <laughs> and right when they when the priest asks her, like, do you take this man? She bolts. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh. And later on, dad just buys King off. <laughs> just like, if you shut up about this, here's 100 grand. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Oh. So she drives away, and a few days later, Andrews is working at his desk. That's when Wesley tells him, you know, I won't contest the annulment if you pay me off. And the, the, his assistant brings him a telegram that says, what's holding up the annulment, you slowpoke? The walls of Jericho are toppling. <laughs> and it's Peter saying, like, is that divorce gone through? We want to consummate this thing. <laughs> and Andrews is like, let him fall. And we pan to that motel they were at. And they say, like, yeah, all they, the motel owners are like, yeah, all they wanted was a shoe, like a string and a blanket and a little trumpet. And they, they bring down the walls of Jericho. Oh, adorable. That's the end of the movie. They, they found each other. Let them topple. <laughs> it's cute and it's endearing and it's charming and I love it. It's, it's just nice. It's a sweet movie. Yeah. And you don't feel like cheap that this was like a cheap way that they that they got to where they're at in their relationship yeah. you feel you feel the journey you feel yeah. the the adventure and the kind of wonder that they have for each other throughout the film it's yeah, weird how I, you get into it the first time i saw this when they like when he left her and she got the wrong idea i i was devastated i was like yeah no. i was like uh-oh this what is this gonna go into like I, I, for a second when i first saw it i was like is this about to go into like hitchcock territory like <laughs> What's happening? Commit suicide or something? <laughs> something horrible, yeah. And then no, it's like no, no. It's you're still you're good. Yeah, it's just sweet. Uh, yeah, I give it an eight. I like it. It'll probably go up with with repeated viewings. Yeah, and and yeah, just time. Um, that's something that we've talked about. What changes, you know, um, with films? There's there, there's a movie we re- recently talked about on um on our other podcast, our Film Guys and Podcast. Um, as above so low from 2014 yeah and you you had asked what changed the second time and i literally was just like six years man um (laughs) time i think yeah i mean six years from now we'll be into our 30s and this movie could certainly get better right um with time and with um as you watch other stuff and find even more tropes that are um not copied from it but just kind of you know adopted from it and taken from it and i love that yeah it's wonderful um Anything else to add on uh, It Happened One Night? No, yeah, I, I, you know, thanks for getting this far. I hope you um, were able to see the film before <laughs> before you got here, because, yeah, it, it, it's a lovely one. I don't think it's on any streaming services right now, but you can pay two ninety nine to rent it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I, would say, I would say it's worth that two ninety nine. Yeah, and it's cute. I had it on DVD, so that was an easy find, but, you know, not everybody even does DVDs anymore. It's weird. Yeah, Maybe, just, anyway. Discs are like, yeah, ancient these days, yeah. And that takes us into this week in film. It's been a pretty sad week, frankly. Um, We lost Kelly Preston. She died at uh, 57 years old from a two-year battle with breast cancer. That was uh, was pretty devastating. Uh, John Travolta's wife, a fairly renowned actress in her own right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. And then soon after that, uh, Glee actress Naya Rivera died in a drowning accident, 33 years old. So it just, the death just kept coming this week. And then yesterday, you know, 
Congressman John Lewis died. <laughs> I mean, holy shit. Give us a break. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Devastating stuff for um, multiple industries, right? Where it's not just, yeah, um, one thing happening. I, yeah, I, I was, I, I thought about that too. And when you um, see a lot of, you know, death in the news, you just tend to start thinking about it yourself. And, ah, oh, man, it's so sad to see. Um, a wife or a mother or a father or, you know, son, whatever it may be, you know, go for anybody. It just sucks. Um, uh, Kelly Preston, John Travolta. We've talked about him here on this podcast, you know, um, our hearts definitely go out to him, man, you know, and their family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after that, uh, we have, this is interesting. John Hamm is going to be starring in a reboot of Fletch from uh, Greg Matola, director of Superbad and Adventureland. Yeah, yeah. Fletch was Chevy Chase's uh, 80s two-film comedy franchise about a newspaper reporter who wears disguises to get the big story. I've seen Fletch. I was not impressed. <laughs> um, but that was like 10 years ago, so maybe I should give it another chance. I like John Hamm. I think he's got great comedic timing. And um, I'm, I'm interested. I'll see it. I'm going to give it a go. I had no idea. I, I hadn't heard anything about this. this. That's very strange. Like what a bizarre, um, bizarre, uh, you know, co- uh, combination of people, Greg Matola. <laughs> yeah. John, ha- John Hammond, that idea. I, I'm down though. I'm down. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you see tag? Yes. Yes. I thought that was really funny. I thought, I thought that movie was underappreciated as hell. I, I agree. Uh, you know, people are really harsh on comedy. That's funny. We're just talking about a romantic comedy. People are really harsh in comedy and it's just hard to do these days. Cause there's, there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of not fair game anymore. Um, yeah, even, yeah. E- even, even just like 10 years ago, you talk about a movie like super bad. <laughs> uh, I, that would just rock people's worlds right now. If it came out a movie, um, that's all about date rape and trying to score with a drunk chick. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that you know would would have a hard time coming out today. Yeah, true. Do you think that it um it damages a movie nowadays? Like, do you think Superbad is tarnished because of its subject matter? Um, yeah, for sure. Superbad is super tough to, to even talk about. Um, it's got so many issues, so many. I think I think it has extremely extremely funny moments. Um. I had it in my top five 2007 movies. Uh, I look at it as kind of one of the pinnacle movies of the 2000s for comedy. I think it's, yeah. I think it's got incredible timing. I think every single performance is really just spot on from Christopher Mintz-Plasse to Seth Rogen to Bill Hader to, you know, to the main two guys, but it certainly has plenty of issues and, I'm very open to talking about those, but if I'm sitting down and just watching myself, I I still find that movie to be very, very funny. I feel the same way about Blazing Saddles. That's, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, obviously Blazing Saddles has its issues. Everybody knows that, but um, you're a big Mel Brooks fan. And I totally understand that. Totally get it. That movie still has great moments. Yeah. And it's also uh, up for a possible Oscar Sunday episode because it was up for two. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we will definitely do that one day. Cause that's a very, very controversial movie that would be very fun to do. Uh, yeah, man. I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this, right. Um, on yeah. both podcasts where it's very gray. You, you really have to go movie by movie and be willing to have that conversation. Yeah. It's a conversation that will frankly never stop because there's always going to be something that we, you know, we open our eyes about 
culturally. Yes. And, uh, there's going to be new films that are put under scrutiny every, every year. And uh, we're just going to deal with, we're just going to deal with that. There's no other workaround. We're just going to have to accept it and uh, work past it. Keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it moving. And finally, one last thing I wanted to bring up uh, the trailer for Tesla dropped. Yes. Starring Ethan Hawke as noted scientist Nikola Tesla, Kyle McLaughlin as Thomas Edison, and Jim Gaffigan as George Westinghouse. I am 100% on board. I didn't know I needed this, but holy shit, does it look entertaining. Yeah, I am more than all the way in. Uh, this, is, this is one of those movies where uh, you see the casting and you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. no, yeah. I mean, Ethan Hawke, come on. <laughs> McLaughlin <laughs> as Edison? Yes. Jesus. Yeah. And and yeah, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. Yeah, I, I cannot wait for that. It's going to be very, very cool. Looks entertaining. I hope we get to see it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it, yeah, of course. We can talk about that all day, right? Um, that conversation is never going to end either. <laughs> I can want that conversation to end. <laughs> ah, I heard uh, No Time to Die is probably going to be delayed to summer 2021. Yep. So, uh, yeah, just completely you know devastating for like the whole yeah any bond fan sucks any film fan like there's nothing well yeah at this point you want anything <laughs> to come out but yeah, yeah yeah i mean yeah we, we you know you have that circled you know that was that was the one that you were looking forward to most um that just sucks because it was going to happen earlier in the year and you were like oh we're gonna have this gift in the in the you know <laughs> in the late spring and oh you know there's just bigger and more important things going on that uh have not allowed movie theaters to open up again. But if we all just pulled together and wore a goddamn mask and actually gave a shit about this thing, we could end this by Christmas. <laughs> but no, we won't. It infringes on our precious rights, even though it doesn't at all. So, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sucks. It's just, a, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in, I was in Virginia, and everything's still heavily locked down in Virginia. And it's a state that does not have a very big number of cases because I, everybody I saw was wearing a mask. All the, every place is very careful. They care. Down in Texas, it's just like, fuck it, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, we have, yeah, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm here in San Antonio still recording and we have some fascinating, amazing culture and massive cities in our, in our state but I've never been more disappointed in just the general um, like energy that I yeah. feel around, around the, the state of, yeah. Of, of, uh, there, there's just multiple like groups of, you know, people saying like, well, yeah, you know, you're, you're infringing on our rights by making us wear a mask. And that's just, that's just kind of sad that people even have the idea to do that. It's like, just, just wear it, man. It's not even a big deal. Who cares? Even if, even if everything is bullshit to you and it's all a conspiracy, even if it is, just wear the mask. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I, That's I, one of the things that I can't understand. You can't. I hate when people make those little things political. It's, it's frustrating. You know what it is? It's the same assholes who don't put their cart back at the grocery store. It's all the same brand of dick. Yeah, just like, I, why can I leave my shit here? You're like, well, clean it up. Yeah. It's those same assholes. It's, ugh. It, it, <laughs> Sucks, yeah. man. Going any further, I'm hey. going to alienate a good chunk of the cat of the. Fans, so I no, 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 no. I, 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 people need to be challenged, and uh, myself included. You know, I, I think I have to keep a you know positive mindset 
and be be the energy that I want to see, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just, you know, do your best. You know, like you said, we can just wear our mask and keep our, you know, keep trying to stay inside as much as we can. That's all we can do. Yeah, exactly. And I know that I sound like a bit of a hypocrite saying this while I'm on a vacation. But um, <laughs> suffice it to say, I am still taking precautions. I was very careful. I'm going to continue to be careful because I actually do want this to stop. I do not want to accept this as the new normal. I would like to actually work together and fuck this thing off. <laughs> Like yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's hoping. Christ. I mean, maybe, you know, every state and federal government leader in America will be visited by three ghosts tonight. Maybe. That would be nice. But I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, me either. God knows with this coronavirus, there's a lot of new ghosts to go around. <sighs> well, <laughs> what are we doing next week? Oh, next week. Yeah, we teased it earlier. It's one that um, we feel both very strongly about. It was a a film that appeared in both of our top 10 movies of the past decade episode on our Filmgasm podcast. Uh, We did that sometime, I want to say, last January, December, January, somewhere in there. Um, I had a blast with that one because we got to count down 10 movies we both love from the past decade. And this one popped up on there from 2014. Whiplash, directed Whiplash. by Damien Chazelle, starring oh. Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons. Oh my goodness, an absolute masterpiece. Uh, a film I think about nonstop. Um, I've, I've recently read articles that are kind of deteriorating it, and it just makes me like it more. Just makes me like it more. Why? Um, is it because it's a film that glorifies bullying or some shit? No, no, we'll get into that next week. No, ah. nothing like that. It's all about the music. It's all about the music. And oh. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about this movie, man. It is one of those, one of those ones that makes me want to live. Um, when I, when I, when I see that opening credit, the opening title card and I see Miles Teller walking down the alleyway, I am, I immediately want to do something with my life. Um, and that, that is so cool that a movie can do that. It inspires me to go like, go write something, go read something, go run, go do this, go do that. Whiplash has that power. And it's, um, next week's next week's topic and i can't wait oh it's gonna be fantastic and uh also if you want your horror movie fixed this wednesday on filmgasm we will be doing the guest from 2014 uh, netflix so, yeah netflix dan stevens as a creepy soldier so gonna be a good one is whiplash on anything right now um i don't think so no, no i don't think it is either um I remember it made like a long run on HBO, but I, I don't think it's on there anymore. Um, yeah, but this is one that's recent, right? It's 2014, so you can find uh, it. There's, yeah, and, and, and next week's going to be so much fun because we know all of the films that were nominated. Yes. We've seen them all. Uh, yeah, Multiple be, times, so we'll be able to yeah, yeah. draw from a big bucket of source material this time. Yeah, not only do we have Damien Chazelle's Whiplash, but we have you know Wes Anderson. We got you know the Birdman coming out. We got all these awesome directors and I can't wait, man. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, until then, you know, if you meet the one, she might annoy the fuck out of you for a while, but you know, hold in, hang in there. (laughs) Yeah. Keep working. Yeah. See you next Sunday.